Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 44 to 47, says this. Moses came and recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people, he and Joshua, the son of Nun. And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Let's, let's pray. God, we're so grateful for the opportunity to look at your word and uh, thankful for pa- uh, passages that challenge us and stretch us. And um, Lord, we pray that as we look at this song that uh, is very long and, uh, and, and different from what we would normally think through, God, we just pray you would give us a heart of uh, repentance and gratitude unto Jesus for what he has done for us. Uh, God, we pray over this time that your spirit would guide my words, that they would be your words and not mine. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, anyone ever gone to traffic court? Way too many times. It's the worst, right? <laughs> like, you're not going to traffic court to get off, right? Like, there's no reason that you're, well, uh, I mean, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe some people have tried, right? Maybe some people are like, hey, no, no, I didn't do that. I wasn't going 20 miles an hour. I was going 20 miles an hour because I was in a rush, right? No, you're, hopefully, I, I think a lot of cases in traffic court, at least my experience, sorry, I should speak from my own experience. My experience in traffic court is that I'm trying to get this thing off my record, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm guilty. Yep, I did it. I got yeah, 10 miles over or whatever it was. Like, you got me on the radar. There's no getting around this. I'm guilty, right? It is what it is. I mean, a lot of times when that happens, you know when you've done wrong. And uh, we're looking at a song today um, that tells the Israelites what they know, and that is they're guilty, <laughs> And, uh, and so this is, a, this is not necessarily going to make it to the top 40 list of songs, okay? Like this is, uh, it, it doesn't have the right rhythm for us. It doesn't have the right content for us. It's just uh, definitely not going to make it up to in your charts. But, but it's very important for us to, uh, to see why it's included. Uh, because as we read that first little chunk, this is actually the summary of why Moses shared this song. Okay, we've been going through Deuteronomy. And through the whole of Deuteronomy, Moses has just been thinking about every possible way he can get it into these Israelites' heads that the God of all creation, the Lord of heaven and earth, chose them to be his people, and all he's asking is that he would obey their instructions, right? Trust me, the things that I've revealed to you are good, and you should walk in them, over and over, he tells them, do not forget that you should not, you know, have hatred towards your brother. You should not look on things that you should not look on. You should not covet those things that other people have. He's telling them these things, the very revealed moral law of God. He's saying, trust me, follow the Lord your God who has called you out of Egypt, who has saved you from slavery. So in every way possible, every way imaginable, he keeps telling them reasons why they need to remember the goodness and mercy of God. Last week, we saw him commissioning uh, Joshua and again reminding Joshua that this is a time to be strong and courageous. Remember what God has done in your past. He has conquered kings 
with you. He has brought you out of the greatest nation on earth at the time and brought you out to be your own people. Remember the miracles that God has done and go forth with strength and courage into that which is before you. Yes, the people of this land you're going to, they're bigger than you. Yes, there are threats that are very real. We aren't making up things. These aren't figments of imagination. These are actual threats that you ought to be, you know, concerned about. But our God is stronger. Our God is greater. So go forth with strength and courage. And so this week, as he's kind of concluded, they've given them the covenant, this new covenant, uh, shared with them the, the character of God through the various stipulations of the covenant He is now going to witness against the people. He actually calls, Moses calls three witnesses against the people to tell them what? Ultimately, they're guilty. (laughs) He's going to tell them, "You, you have been guilty, you are guilty today, and in the future, you're gonna be guilty. That's what the whole song is about, and that's what the witnesses here are about. He calls three witnesses against the people. We're going to spend uh, just a brief time on the first two, uh, and then I'm going to walk through the song of Moses itself. Um, So the first witness he calls against the people to say, uh, I am holy and you are not, is creation. Deuteronomy 31, verses 27 to 28, he says, For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, this is Moses speaking, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. Moses says, if there was any doubt about where you stand in relation to God, just consider the universe. I mean, could you imagine being in their time where there's no light pollution? You just look up at the sky and go, yeah, I'm pretty small right? Just the the very creation itself reveals to us that there's something bigger than we are. And there's a multitude of us in all different replication and diversity. And we look around at each other and we're just like one of billions on this planet. And and then we look up at the sky and we see just a vast array of stars and a sun that goes across the sky every day and a moon that also, and then more and more every day we're seeing this. This thing is expansive and greater than we could ever even imagine. The heaven and the earth tell us that whatever happened to make this thing, it is way bigger than we are. And we believe that is God, the Lord of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth stand as a witness. You are small in magnitude compared to me. Second, he calls the law itself in uh, 31 verses 24 to 26. It says, when Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, that is Deuteronomy chapter 5 to about 30, is what we think is the, the words of the law. Once he's written the law to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take the book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be, that it may be there for you as a witness against you. So our second witness, this word is popping up three times here. The law itself stands as a witness inside the Holy of Holies, inside the, inside the temple. The law itself written on this scroll, the, the second telling of it, right? Deuteronomy chapter five and all the stipulations that go with it are set beside the Ark of the Covenant, which I think is so interesting. I never had seen this before until this past week when we were studying the passage. I'm like, why is that scroll put beside it? 
Well, it's a testimony. It's a testimony against the nature of the people in comparison to the nature of God. God reveals to him, to them, his holy character. He says, this is what it's like to follow the creator of heaven and earth. Honor your father and mother. Have no other gods before me. All these things. And, and again, as we've gone to a vast array to look at all the details of that playing out in, in loan interest and in, in, in interaction with uh, your neighbors and all these things, God's character on display, that's all in there. And it's testifying, this is the character of the Lord and how he calls you to respond to the circumstances of life. If you do it perfectly, then you are righteous in my eyes. And what's the truth? We can't fulfill that law. We break it all the time. We mess it up. And so this law, this scroll in the Holy of Holies is a testimony, a witness against us that we're broken, that, that we don't measure up to the holiness of God. It is a witness to us. And finally, Moses calls this song that we're about to walk through a witness against the people of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, 19 and 20, he says, Now therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land, flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. Isn't that tremendous to think? But like, we always think, man, when God gives me the blessing then I will praise him. Right? Have you been there where you're like, Lord, if you just... Then I'll give you praise. Whatever it is. What God is telling them, listen to the words of this song, because when I give them the land of milk and honey, when they grow fat, that is when they are wealthy, they will not praise me. When they receive this blessing, they will instead worship other gods and deny me. That is the heart of this people. And so it records a song to tell them, may this song that I'm giving you today, before you even get to the land, be a witness against you that this is the nature of your heart right now. He's not being judgmental. He's not trying to uh, paint a, a dark picture of his reality with them. He is just telling them the truth. That right now, even as they stand at the edge of the land that the Lord has brought them to, their hearts are doubting. Even though they've gone through the plagues of Egypt and walked through the Red Sea and been given manna from heaven and been through the wilderness for 40 years and the God in, God in his gracious mercy continues to provide, they're standing at the edge and going, ah, it was nice back in Egypt. And so Moses writes this song as a witness against the people that, yeah, what God told you came true. Your heart is still dark toward me. So I'm going to give you the outline as we walk through uh, these passages. And, and first, uh, you know, this is very long. I'm, I'm literally just going to read this song and kind of point out the sections to you. And uh, the reason I'm going to do it that way is because it's actually what God told the people to do. <laughs> every seven years, you might remember us talking about it last week, I think. Every seven years, they were to sing this song during the Feast of Booths. Okay, Every seven years, this is the song that they were singing to remember like, that God told them what was happening. 
So first, an invocation to the witnesses, Deuteronomy 32, 1 to 4. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as rain, my speech distill as dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness without iniquity, just and upright is he. Who is God? He is perfect in every way, perfect in his justice, perfect in his character, without any sin, completely upright. He is the rock. Verses 5 and 6, the indictment of the people. And I, I want to step back real quick and say, this is actually like a legal framework that, that would happen in covenant. So this isn't a foreign to them. This process is actually something they would know from ancient Near East culture. So like that he's walking through it in this way and presenting witnesses and presenting an indictment, this is not abnormal for them. It's kind of weird for us. The indictment of the people, Deuteronomy 32, 5 to 6, they have dealt corruptly with him, that is with God. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is he not your father who created you, who made you and established you? How? How do we so turn against what the Lord has done when he is our creator? This is what he's saying to the people, the indictment of the people. Verses 7 to 14, a review of past blessings. That's really small. Sorry, I should have broken that up. But if you can read it, congrats. Um, a review of the past blessings of the Lord, verses 7 to 14. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is in his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage, that is, of all the nations that he created, I chose you, Israel. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him and cared for him. He kept them as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field. He suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd and milk from the flock, with fat of lambs, the rams of Bashan and goats, and the very finest of wheat. And you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. God has called you out as a people, and he's provided everything abundantly for you. This is the review of past blessing. But in spite of that blessing, that pouring out of generosity upon the people that the Lord chose, this was Israel's response, verses 15 to 18. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat and stout and sleek. Then he forsook God and made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger they sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they'd never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. 
in spite of this blessing that's been poured out, instead of returning in, in, in um, response to this God who has blessed them so much, instead they worshiped other gods. They turned to gods that weren't even made up. They turned to gods that, that they didn't even know before they had this interaction with the Lord. They began to sacrifice to demons and things that their fathers had never dreaded. And so, verses 19 to 25, God declares his promise of judgment. The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see their end will be for their perverse generation, children in whom there is no faithfulness. They've made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. Now think about that. They have made God jealous with things that are not even God for his people, for his children. They've provoked him to anger. So I'll make them jealous for those who are no people. I'll provoke them with anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in my anger and burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth in its increase and sets fire on the foundations of the mountains. I'll heap disasters upon them and spend my arrows on them. They should be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them with venom of things that crawl in the dust. Outdoors the sword shall bereave and indoors terror for young and man alike, nursing child and the man of gray hairs. God says, you've rejected my very blessing and gone after other gods. How am I going to get a hold of you except through judgment? I can't stand by and let you wallow in that which is nothing right? If you're serving no God, that no God is going to destroy you. And so he says, I will bring my judgment for your rejection of me. Verses 26 to 38, the song recounts the powerlessness of all these other gods that the people of Israel are serving. Verse 26, I would have said, cut them to pieces and wipe them from human memory had I not feared provocation by the enemy lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is triumphant, it was not the Lord who did all this. And so, so unless uh, the Lord says, I would have gone the whole way and removed them. But if I would have done that, the people would have said, the Lord is not powerful. The Lord has brought them out for judgment. They would have misunderstood all that the Lord was doing in love to his children. Verse 28, for they, the nations... Uh, outside Israel it is, that for they are a nation void of counsel and there's no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. How could he, one have chased a thousand and two have put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given up? For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. Their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and their fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison and their clusters are bitter. Their wine is poison of serpents and cruel venom of asps. What is he saying there? He's saying that which you are hoping in instead of the Lord has no strength. You're hoping that in that which man has made. You're hoping in that which Sodom and Gomorrah has created itself. You're hoping in, um, in a rock that is not a rock. You're hoping in grapes that are poison. Verse 34, is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is, vengeance is mine and recompense. 
For the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees their power is gone, and there is nothing remaining, bond or free, then he will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge? Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. We know this, right? If you've kind of had a journey of faith that's gone to and fro, you know that those times when you went wandering, you put your hope in something of this earth. And if the Lord was gracious, he let you see. He let you have eyes to see and ears to hear that that which you're hoping in in this world is powerless. It is futile. In fact, it will destroy you. He says, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge? The people of Israel were drawn out of Egypt in salvation, drawn out by the power of God who is holy and on high. And instead they worshiped other idols, gods who their fathers had not even known existed, right? And God says, where are they now that you're at your end? Where are they now that you're wallowing in in this state that you're in? We've been there, right? When someone near to us strays from the faith and hopes in something else, hopes in things of this world. We've been there. Has anyone been there? Where you've desired for someone you love to come to know the graciousness and mercy of God. And there comes a point in that journey and that understanding where your prayer for them is that they would really experience, truly and perfectly experience the hopelessness of anything other than Christ. Have you been there? Where you're praying for someone and thinking the only thing possible for them to see is if they come to the end of what this world offers and see that it is nothing. That's what he's saying here. Where are their gods? The rock in which they said they had refuge. It has betrayed them. Where is the fat of the sacrifices they offered to these gods? Nothing ate it up. He concludes in verses 39 to 43 with the vindication of the Lord. See now, and I pray that this is your prayer for anyone you know that, is, that has gone astray, that is going a different way. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold of judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I'll make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword will devour flesh and the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods. For he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. So that's the song that they're to sing every seven years. 
Some days I like to preach expositionally, passage at a time, and some days it's harder. But this passage is not very far from what we need to hear. I think it's right exactly what we need to hear because in truth, if you will see it, if you have eyes to see, this is the gospel. This is the gospel shown on display in the Old Testament. The, the reason they're singing this song every day, every seven years, in the, in the time of their celebration of release from Egypt is to remember that it was not by their strength, not by anything they could fabricate, not by any of their works, not by any of their deeds, not by anything that is in them, but rather because of God on high. We know this, right? We're guilty. We're guilty. If you will read this song with humility, you will understand that you have been here. This has been you, and this has been me. Willing to celebrate that which has no power when the one who blessed me is God on high. Lord, give us eyes to see that we are all by nature sinners and in need of Jesus to fulfill the law. The three things that Moses called his testimony as witness against the people of Israel. Creation, the law, and this song. In our lives, that could be called a testimony, our testimony. Three things witness about the Lord to us today. Creation. Romans 8, 22 to 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know it. Look around at creation. Look around at our world. Is it utopia? And will it ever be utopia on our strength? No. Creation testifies this thing is busted. It's groaning for redemption. From natural disaster to medical disaster to personal disaster, look at it every which way. The earth is groaning for redemption. It is a witness to us. Second, the law. The law is no longer something that you have to read, really. <laughs> Jeremiah says he's going to put it on your heart. Jeremiah 31, 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God has told you what is right and what is wrong, and every day it witnesses against you, right? Just consider your life. Have you fulfilled it? Have you fulfilled your own expectation for your own life? I haven't. I've wronged people. I've been without faith in things that I ought to be with faith. 
The law is on our hearts, testifies against us that we have hoped in things that are not our God. Hebrews 8, 8 to 12. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I show no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law into their minds, write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people." They shall not teach each one to his neighbor, each one to his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest. This law is on our hearts. It is now witnessing to us every single day. Finally, we know it from our own song. Our own song witnesses against us. If we're honest, we know these things are true. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Romans 8, 7 to 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We know this is spoken of us. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the princes of the power of the air, the spirit is that now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind." We know this. Paul is telling these people in, in all these passages, you know what you once were. Do not heap judgment on the world because you know you too were once there. You testify from your own experience that you have forsaken your God. The witness against us that we are guilty from creation, from the law that is on our hearts, from our own experience with our Lord, we know that we're guilty. But the law has been fulfilled. That little scroll tucked there against the Ark of the Covenant. I was thinking about that this week and trying to figure out, like, what is that? Why is it leaning against the Ark? Like, why is it put that way? And I thought, and I got to do some more study out on this, but this is Jesus. Jesus fulfills the law. Who, who else fulfills this law but Christ. He, he is the word that becomes flesh. These words that are spoken of the character of God, that is what is there on the scroll. And who fulfills it but Christ? Christ has fulfilled the law. Two things to go with as I wrap up here. First, we serve a holy God who has perfectly revealed his law to our hearts and we are incapable in our own strength of fulfilling that law that is on our hearts. That's what the witnesses are saying, right? 
We serve a holy God. Creation displays his majesty. He's revealed his law to our hearts. And we're incapable of fulfilling it on our own. Romans 7, 15 to 20. You've resonated with this, I'm sure. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Can you hear the wrestling that Paul is having in his Christian faith? You've been there too, where you know the right thing to do, and you want to do the right thing that you want to do, but you don't do it. And God is saying, I am holy, and my standard is holiness, and you cannot fulfill this law, because even when you want to fulfill it, you can't fulfill it. But again, praise be to God for Jesus who has fulfilled the law. He has fulfilled it on our behalf. He has taken up the character that we should have had. He has been the one that has reconciled our broken state to the holy nature of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Deuteronomy testifies against us that we cannot, in our strength, be the righteousness of God. Jesus has fulfilled the law that God gave us, and perfectly so. He who had no sin became sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for passages that challenge us to think deeply about who you are and about what you've done for us. God, we will glory for eternity in the majesty of what you have done for us. There will be no end to it. Because what you have done for each and every one of us who has trusted in you as our Savior, God, it's unfathomable. We know we are guilty, we know what we deserve. The law is testifying against us. The holiness of creation is testifying against us. Our own experience is testifying against us. And yet in spite of all the evidence that shows us to be guilty, you say, this is my son and this is my daughter, for I have bought him with my own blood. We don't deserve it. 
but you give it to us. So God, I pray, I pray for us that, that whether we're in a time of blessing or whether we're in a time of suffering, or whether we're in a time of just neither, that we would sing this song. That we would recount the glory of a holy God who saw fit to give himself on a cross that we might be his children, that we might take on his righteousness. You are our rock and our salvation. And you alone shall we hope. In Jesus' name, amen.